0: Welcome to the Doc Talks Podcast, a conversation on what's new and relevant in the world of Canadian medicine and hospital healthcare. I'm your host, Ian Gillespie, and I'm here to ask the questions and find the answers you need to know. We want to help our listeners know how to prevent and detect illness and how to navigate our healthcare system. Be sure to subscribe to the Doc Talks Podcast to stay up to date on new episodes and follow us on Twitter at St. Joseph's London. Or visit sjhc.london.on.ca slash podcast. Hello, I'm Ian Gillespie. Welcome to the Doc Talks podcast, brought to you by St. Joseph's Healthcare London. On today's episode, Dr. Sarah Knowles and I are talking about early detection and treatment for breast cancer. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, making it the most common cancer for women. According to the Canadian Cancer Society, more than 29,000 Canadian women were diagnosed with breast cancer in 2023 alone. Dr. Knowles is the Interim Medical Director of St. Joseph's Breast Care Program a center that provides comprehensive breast imaging, diagnostics, and surgery services for patients from across southwestern Ontario. St. Joseph's is also one of over 200 affiliate sites of the Ontario Breast Screening Program, funded by Cancer Care Ontario. Dr. Knowles, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you
0: so much for having me, Ian. So, as I mentioned there in the introduction, uh, some of those stats, and we know that breast cancer is one of the most common forms of cancer, but the good news is has one of the highest survival rates out of all cancers because of early detection and treatment options. So, let's go to that right off the bat, what should a woman look for? What are some of the signs and symptoms that a woman should look for to catch breast cancer early? And but what age should they start doing all this?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So in terms of signs and symptoms, this can vary among women. Some women actually present what we call asymptomatically, or it would be a screen detected breast cancer. So it's too small to actually produce symptoms. And that's where we pick it up on like a mammogram or other imaging techniques, but that would be termed screen detected. And then in patients who are symptomatic, it can be a variety of symptoms. So it could be a palpable lump or a lump they feel in the breast it could be changes in their breast and that could be the shape and size of the breast there could be some skin changes either skin thickening or even what we call dimpling of the skin where the lump is pulling in the skin a little bit it can also be some nipple changes there can be color changes so basically what I usually recommend is if you have noticed changes in your breast don't panic because usually it's something benign but if you do notice some changes definitely see your family doctor or primary care provider and then they can can do an exam and then recommend appropriate follow-up imaging or referrals if needed.
0: Right. And uh, I know there are guidelines, obviously, for uh, what specific age, different ages pose different risk factors. So when should women start being aware or taking preventative steps?
1: So outside of having any risk factors, which we'll probably talk about at some point, there's an increased risk of developing cancer over the age of 50. And so before that, most women don't need to worry. Now, that being said, we are shifting our screening criteria in terms of in Ontario specifically. So women who are over 40 are eligible for self-referral to get screening starting age 40 instead of age 50. Ontario Breast Screen Program is age 50 to 74. And so again, now there's this shift in terms of the age we start screening. But in general, most women are not at an increased risk of breast cancer until over the age of 50. And so before that, there's a bit of a debate. And even after that, actually, there's a bit of debate about when women should sort of look for that or what they should be doing. And there is a bit of controversy actually about breast self-exam and even breast clinical exam by the primary care provider. There was a big push for that for a number of years. And more recent recommendations or evidence would suggest that there is, is actually maybe more harm in doing breast self-exams than good. And I'll, and I'll kind of explain what I mean by that. It's interesting. Um, when I say harm, I mean that could lead to unnecessary concern or worry or unnecessary workup biopsies, etc. cetera, but all turn out to be benign. Because in general, breast exam is actually challenging, especially depending on the shape and size of a woman's breast. So usually without a lot of practice and really good knowledge about your breast, doing a breast self-exam actually causes a lot of unnecessary stress and worry and potentially leads to unnecessary investigation. So that's kind of what the general recommendation is currently from the Canadian Task Force for Preventative Care. But there's a bit of a debate and I'll shift back the other way. And I don't think any providers actually truly agree. There is some people who are now advocating more for doing breast self-exams. And really it's about what the woman feels comfortable with a little bit. I don't think the evidence is really strong that it does lead to actually early detection or improves overall mortality or survival from breast cancer. But it can be an empowering thing for women. And it also can be something that if you feel comfortable with it and you get and you get good at it and you know what your breast feels like. You May be able to detect a change, but for a woman who's not necessarily doing it consistently or not doing it in a proper way, it may actually lead to more worry than is necessary. So right now, there's no clear recommendation or guideline. But if a woman does want to do breast self exam, there's lots of resources online for how to do a breast self exam. They can talk to their primary care provider. They can talk to their breast surgeon if they're seeing a breast surgeon. But again, there's a bit of um, a debate right now amongst the experts about what we should really be recommending. But I think it's really about what the woman would want to do. And if they feel empowered by that, then I strongly recommend it. And if if they feel like they don't feel comfortable doing it, and also they don't have risk factors, et cetera, then I would say maybe they don't need to worry about it.
0: Right. Let's talk about then the the risk factors. That's really interesting and fascinating, Mm -hmm. but obviously some women are more at risk than others. I assume, first of all, that would be something to do with genetic background or family history. Is that right? For sure.
1: Yeah. So actually, yeah, the biggest risk for breast cancer obviously is being a woman. It's more common in women. The other risk for breast cancer is actually you have a personal history of breast cancer or previous breast problems. And I say breast problems as a very vague statement, but if you've had previous breast biopsies before, or again, a personal history of breast cancer, obviously that increases your risk. But family history is a very strong one. And not all family history is made the same, I would say. So, you know, some women have really strong family history and that's a little more concerning than someone who has like a distant cousin or distant great aunt who has breast cancer cancer. Because breast cancer is so common, it's not uncommon to have multiple breast cancers in a family. Now, if we see a bit of a pattern that would suggest something genetic, such as you know breast cancer at a young age, breast cancer in multiple generations, other cancers that can be... Not that they're linked to breast cancer, but some gene mutations or gene abnormalities can cause breast and other types of cancer. So for example... Um, there's a certain types of genes that can be linked to both breast cancer and ovarian cancer. So if we tend to see patterns in the family that makes us more suspicious, and that would be someone who has what we call a pathogenic or abnormal gene mutation in one of their genes that could cause breast cancer. Most common one people probably have heard of is the BRCA or BRCA gene. There's BRCA1, BRCA2, and these are ones we see more strongly associated with breast cancer and ovarian cancer. There are a number of others. So again, if you see family history, you might be alerted to that, which would suggests more counseling, testing, and exploring the family history. Outside of being a gene carrier, actually, people can still have family history. And we know there's some breast cancers that can be hereditary or linked to family history without actually being a gene carrier. So again, if you have some family history, but you aren't a gene carrier, it still does increase your risk. And then outside of that, there's varying other things that do increase your risk, but again, not to the same extent. So we know that being overweight or having an unhealthy body weight can increase your risk of breast cancer. As with anything, smoking, alcohol, those sorts of things can slightly increase risk of cancer in general. And then we also look at other things such as gynecologic history or history specific to women. So age of your first child, if you've had children or not, how long did you breastfeed? All those things impact risk in a subtle way. So we kind of take all those things. Things into account, we think of someone who would be considered high risk.
0: Right. Are certain nationalities, ethnic groups, more at risk than others?
1: So right now, based on what we know, we do think that there probably is some increased risk for patients who are French-Canadian background and Ashkenazi Jewish. Outside of that, there's no specific ethnicity or cultural group specifically that we've been able to say is increased risk of breast cancer. But those populations, yes, that would be uh, an increased risk group.
0: Right. And you did say that one of the big risks, of course, is being a woman, which, of course, I've got to ask. What about men? Breast cancer is not unknown amongst men. Is that? correct?
1: Yeah. So men can get breast cancer. It is extremely rare. In general, about 1% of breast cancer cases are men, so less than 1%. So it is very rare. The risk for men, so women is about one in eight, as you mentioned earlier, risk of breast cancer. Average population risk is one in eight women will get breast cancer. But for men, it's about one in 900. So it's much more rare, but not impossible. And similar to women, if men have a family history of breast cancer, specifically male breast cancer, obviously that would be something to be... Be alerted to, or if family history of gene mutations, etc., you're more likely to potentially see breast cancer in men.
0: So that was very interesting, fascinating about the the controversy about self-exam. But if a woman perhaps has some of these risk factors, as you said, family history has noted something different in her own self-examination, what are the steps? Who should she contact? What should she do if she feels she might have breast cancer?
1: So yeah, that would be again, regardless of risk factors. I think any woman who notices a new finding to obviously see their primary care team. But that is usually the first point of care. The family doctor or primary care team would do an assessment. And so that would obviously include a full history physical to assess the patient. And then if they feel that there isn't a lump or if they feel there's something concerning, then that would likely prompt imaging. And so the next steps would be usually depending on the age of the patient. So if they're if they're young, we usually just do an ultrasound to start. But if they're over 30, then we add in the mammogram and an ultrasound to assess the area of concern for the woman. And then that would then prompt further investigations if something was found.
0: Right. And if something is found, God forbid, what are the treatments and do they start right away? What's the process after that?
1: So if a woman comes in, and again, this is some, um, so there are, um, outside imaging centers, so there are sort of community-based breast imaging. So if they did get seen there first, then they would get referred to us at the Breast Care Program here at St. Joe's. Or if they happen to be here first, then they're already kind of connected to our system. So the first step, again, is imaging. And so sometimes the radiologist may suggest more imaging. They might suggest actually a contrast enhanced mammogram, which is something we do here at St. Joe's. Our radiology team is amazing. They're leading sort of the country and even the world to some extent with the um, adding in contrast as part of the assessment. Other centers are starting to do it, but we were really the leaders in that. And that's actually been very beneficial. So that's a contrast mammogram where they use a special IV contrast while they have a mammogram. And so the radiologists may recommend other tests. They might recommend additional mammogram views. They might recommend a breast MRI. But usually if there's something suspicious, whether it's an area of distortion or calcifications or a lump, there's various ways that breast cancer can show up in imaging, but the radiologist is well trained to detect that, then they would do a biopsy of the area of concern which is a little needle that goes into the area. They freeze it and most women tolerate it reasonably well. And then they would sample some of the tissue. And then our pathology team would look at that and look for cancer cells. And then if, if cancer is discovered, then they would get a referral to one of the breast surgeons to discuss next treatment options. There's a variety of things that then wouldn't happen next, but usually it's a pretty smooth, relatively quick process. I'm pretty proud of that here at the Breast Care Center from sort of initial symptom to workup to biopsy to see a surgeon. We are... Pretty good in terms of timeline, and I know and for patients it feels like forever, even waiting a week or two. But overall, we are pretty quick to see a patient and get them in to get assessed and and come up with a treatment plan.
0: Hmm. Are you seeing any breast cancer rates rising, for instance? Are they falling because of increased awareness? How? How is that proceeding?
1: Yeah, so right now, I I would say again, this is hard, not hard, but it does take years sort of to see different trends and different rates because obviously it's population-based data and and population level. As of right now, it doesn't seem to suggest that the prevalence of breast cancer is changing. Incidents can fluctuate sometimes depending on, in theory, not for breast cancer specifically, but if a new diagnostic tool is implemented that shifted things and we might see an increase in sort of the diagnosis, but overall the general prevalence would be similar. So we're not seeing that necessarily right now, but it would be something we might see in five to 10 years, depending on what the rates and things um, trend to and things like that.
0: And you were talking about some of the risks that I guess can be controlled, such as healthy lifestyle and and smoking. Are Mm -hmm. there any other sort of prevention strategies uh, out there that women can do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So in terms of actually preventing things, I think it depends if we're talking about someone who is high risk versus average risk. And so again, high risk, as we talked about, can be related to various things. And in women who are high risk, it's a whole different discussion that you would, you know, you meet with a breast surgeon and actually talk about enhanced surveillance options. You might talk about genetic testing. There's some medications in theory that could reduce your risk of breast cancer. It's a little more complicated discussion, but in general, average risk women in terms of prevention. I just advocate for a healthy lifestyle. Truly the one thing that is modifiable is a healthy body weight. And so we know that extra fat cells can produce extra estrogen, which then can also influence your risk of breast cancer. So in general, being a more ideal body weight or health, not even, I hate that word and it's a complicated issue, but a more healthy body weight, being active, eating well, all those sorts of things will in general obviously lead to more health and in general lead to a decreased risk of breast cancer and other types of cancer. Uh, Decreased alcohol intake, there has been some recent studies that suggest that no alcohol is technically safe. And so in general, we say that any alcohol intake can in theory increase your risk of breast cancer. So alcohol moderation, or even trying to reduce it as much as possible, quitting smoking, all those sorts of lifestyle modifications that keep us healthy in general will help reduce the risk of breast cancer. Right.
0: And again, obviously, we want to emphasize that early diagnosis is the key, correct, to saving lives. And then I've just got a a stat here that uh, Statistics Canada says that the estimated five-year survival rate for female breast cancer is about 100% for those diagnosed at stage one, and then that drops slightly to 92% for stage two. So again, I, I don't know if you want to add to that, but again, that message that early diagnosis is crucial.
1: Yes, for sure. I agree. And so thinking about the stage and other factors, but it really is, yeah, the early we can detect it, the smaller the lump, if it's confined to the breast and it hasn't spread anywhere, those are all favorable features for a good overall prognosis and survival. And I think along with those things is actually improvement in treatment as well over the years. And so even patients who are diagnosed at a more advanced stage still have better outcomes than we've ever seen because of the other treatments available to patients. So I think in general, I would say breast cancer has usually a good prognosis. But again, the early detection definitely improves survival. If we can catch it before it's gone anywhere else, if it's confined to the breast, those are all favorable things.
0: Right. And obviously, in addition to treatment and and detection, the breast care program at St. Joe's, I assume, offers sort of post-op assistant, does it, to women who have gone through the process and had breast surgery?
1: Yeah, again, here at the Breast Care Centre would be the diagnostic imaging side where we make the diagnosis, and then the breast surgeons work in a clinic where we see the patients talk about plans and then do the surgery as appropriate. And then afterwards, they would then go see the cancer centre, so the London Regional Cancer Program at Victoria Hospital, okay. and then they would get subsequent treatment. So that may include chemotherapy, it may include an estrogen-blocking pill, so what we call endocrine therapy, it may include radiation. And there are some times where we see the patient and we actually decide that those treatments should happen first. So sometimes there's situations where chemotherapy or other treatment may happen before surgery. And then in terms of supporting patients through post-operative care, we see the patients afterwards and we can help connect them with resources. Um, It's actually an area of interest of mine wanting to actually improve our community supports. I mean, we've got lots of options, but really trying to actually, maybe it's more about improving our connection to uh, let patients access those resources, whether or not it's physiotherapy or massage therapy for uh, improved recovery or whether or not it's actually connecting to other patients who are going through the same thing. So almost like a social support network, um, whether it's additional resources, you know, things like financial assistance, things like that. We've got lots of things available if we can connect the patient in the right way.
0: Dr. Knowles, can you explain the biopsy process? I mean, what What exactly does that look like?
1: So in terms of if the radiologist reviews breast images and thinks that there is something that looks abnormal and they suggest a biopsy, then we would arrange that. And so biopsies can actually be done either with imaging guidance. So with either a mammogram or ultrasound or sometimes an MRI. So we get everything positioned, we can see the area that we want to target with the help of imaging, and then we can use a small needle to sample the area. And that's typically how biopsy is done is with a needle. There are some odd time that we have to do what we call a surgical biopsy, we actually remove a little bit more of tissue with a small surgery, but in general, the first workup often starts with a small needle into the breast tissue, samples a few pieces of the area that looks abnormal, and then we get these tiny little samples that we can send a pathology and they can look at. I think one thing to mention, though, is that because a biopsy can be a very stressful experience for patients, and just because they're worried about what the outcome is, and is this going to be cancer? Is it not going to be cancer? So in general, I'd say a lot of our biopsies actually end up being benign. Benign means non-cancer, sorry. And we talked a little bit about this earlier in the um, self-exam part where we talked about then you find a lump, you get that worked up, you maybe get unnecessary biopsies or biopsies that end up being non-cancer or benign. And so that whole process can cause some stress. But a lot of times biopsies, the sample we actually take are other things in the breast. They can be cysts, they can be something called a fibroadenoma, which is benign or non-cancerous. They can be lots of other things. So even if you are getting a biopsy, it doesn't always mean you have breast cancer. So I think that's also important to remember because women are very anxious about that, understandably so. And then we try to help them through that process because we want to give them some reassurance, but at the same time, we don't actually know what it is either yet. So that's why we're doing the, the sample. But a lot of times we do biopsies, even if we're kind of being extra cautious or not say overly worried. Like we might think, oh yeah, it's probably something benign, but it looks a little suspicious. So a lot of times biopsies end up being nothing to worry about. But then of course, yes, a lot. A lot of times they are also breast cancer.
0: And uh, again, we know how important uh, early detection is. How do we encourage more women to, to sign up for the screening program?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that's a, that's a tough question because... I think the way the program is right now, it is sort of a self referral thing, which is good and bad, which means you don't necessarily need a primary care provider because a lot of, as you know, in London and elsewhere in Canada and Ontario, there aren't enough primary care providers for the patient population. So I think having it be a self referral program where the patient registers themselves is very helpful so that you don't have to worry about a primary care provider being involved if you don't have one. Now, the downside is that you don't have a primary care provider necessarily encouraging you to do the program. It is self referral, though. All of our family doctors and primary care providers in London and, and the area are obviously a strong advocate of the program and will help their patients and remind their patients and all those things. And so I think it's about education. I think, you know, we, we send letters out, we do everything we can, but it's, you know, there probably are people we're missing and I, I don't know if we know how to target those people. I think there's enough information out there right now as, as long as we keep that up and continue the education and things like that. But I think that's really what it is about is just being educated too. And I think there's maybe some fear associated with having a mammogram because you don't want to know what the results are, maybe some people want to know, some people are just, you know, if I don't get it done, it's not happening to me. So I think there is probably that component. And again, trying to provide some reassurances that the process, while it's stressful, we have amazing staff here that help you. We've got nurse navigators, the technicians, the physician staff that really try to make this an experience that is as okay as possible when it is stressful. And we really try to support patients through that journey. And that is one of our goals is, is the patient experience and, and having. A- a good patient journey and patient experience.
0: Dr. Knowles, what about new technologies and uh, research? Uh, Is there anything on the horizon regarding the, the diagnosis and treatment or prevention of breast cancer?
1: Yeah, in terms of diagnosis right now, I think I mentioned a little bit about the contrast enhanced mammogram that we do in London. And I think that is going to be a very useful tool, specifically in women who may have more dense breast tissue. So as part of the workup, I think we might actually, I think it's going to help us make the diagnosis as well as help guide surgery and things like that to determine the extent of the breast cancer. So from a diagnostic perspective, I think that's going to be incredibly helpful. I think it'll be interesting to see as screening guidelines change in terms of what age to start at. You know, there's this debate about factoring in a woman's breast density, which is a whole other complicated topic. But, you know, things about should we be doing more enhanced surveillance, family history, things like that might improve detection when we start screening women. But um, I think in terms of the actual treatment you know, surgically, I see some changes in the last few years. So that's obviously my area of expertise is being a breast surgeon. We are pushing the limits in terms of doing breast conserving surgery. So before, traditionally, we thought if a woman had very extensive breast cancer or it was, you know, multiple spots in multiple areas, that we would not be able to save the breast. But in recent years, there's been a push for something called oncoplastic breast surgery. And so onco means oncology, and plastic is obviously plastic surgery techniques. And it's combining both the breast surgery, cancer part of the surgery, and plastic surgery techniques to remove large portions of the breast and to reshape the breast in a cosmetically appealing way so that we don't leave a big hole or divot, so to speak. We actually can reshape the breast mound and give women a good cosmetic outcome. And that we do in conjunction with our plastic surgery team. So it's a little bit different than reconstruction options post mastectomy, for example, or after a removal of the breast where they do different types of reconstruction. This is actually where we're trying to save the majority of the breast tissue, but still resect a large tumor. And this I think is a great option for women and, and women in general, not always, but they prefer to save their breast if they can. And so if we can offer that, it's a nice way for women to have a good outcome and to be happy with the overall cosmetic outcome, which is an important part because they're going to have a good cancer outcome, gonna have a good survival. We want women to feel like it's still their body and they still feel comfortable and they are happy with how they look and feel because that psychological part of it is actually super important. And we want women who are surviving breast cancer to feel happy about themselves and and feel good about those sorts of things. So I think that's a big area in surgery. And then even going beyond, there's so many advances in the systemic treatment of breast cancer. So that would be things like medical medications or chemotherapy. And so there's been a lot of new things discovered in immune therapy, which really can target breast cancer cells. And that is a huge area that I think is is going to be changing how we look at breast cancer, especially for more advanced breast cancers. We have a lot of good evidence and, and data to suggest that some of these immune therapies are really improving overall survival and outcomes for patients.
0: Wow. Well, that's a nice optimistic note. To end on, perhaps so. Dr. Knowles, thanks so much for joining us today and shedding more light on breast cancer.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and I really appreciate it.
0: That's it for this episode of the Doc Talks Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And join us next time when we'll continue our conversation on what's new and relevant in the world of Canadian medicine and hospital healthcare. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at St. Joseph's london or visit sjhc.london.on.ca slash podcast until then stay healthy